Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Hey, it's Sex and Science Hour. It's Friday. Yeah. How come I never get to open up the show? Would you like to? Yeah, maybe sometime. I mean, it's not like when you, I mean, you, you do great. You know, it's not like it's a non-starter, which well, it's some kind things of, are kind of, of a non-starter. You have your own show. I don't have my own show. That's so a this good is point. my show. That's a good point. All right. You I, will you will do what I say. I, absolutely. This is not a tragedy of the commons here, okay? This is not... This, this is a clear hierarchy and structure. <laughs> this is government. not a democracy. <laughs> this, is not, this is a dictatorship, and I'm the dictator. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I am totally kidding about that. Yeah. However, I want I want, did want to segue into the tragedy of the commons issue because we were talking about something uh, that I thought was interesting to bring up on the show, and that was the the hack of the DAO. So, if you have no idea what that is, bear with us. We'll explain it all, and we'll try to do it in we'll try you to. know 15 minutes yeah. or so or less or 10 minutes <laughs> um but yeah it appears that the dao for those who do know what it is is going down in flames today as we record this show yeah that's the claim i mean you know we're kind of going back to our roots here because we used to be we uh, started the show on the let's talk bitcoin network yeah. and we would regularly kind of criti- criticize uh, ethereum which- oh yeah we do that too i was gonna say we'd squeeze in a bitcoin uh uh topic of some kind but yeah no you're right we would criticize ethereum pretty regularly oh yeah i was then i was thinking on a whole other level you're you're on a whole other level (laughs) that's right (laughs) but yeah we would squeeze in bitcoin topics and we would criticize ethereum and uh ethereum okay so if you're a total noob and you don't know what the fuck we're talking about let's try to explain it for people who don't know and don't care sure um (laughs) i'll do my best but you you jump in and correct me brian okay so Ethereum is a piece of software, a peer-to-peer network, uh, if you will, kind of similar to Bitcoin, which you've probably heard of Bitcoin. It's a peer-to-peer digital currency Mm -hmm. based on an open source piece of software that when a bunch of people run it, it creates this peer-to-peer network. And you can send little tokens back and forth over the network called Bitcoins, and you can do it anywhere in the world, borderless, yada, yada, permissionless system. Ethereum is kind of like that, and it has a cryptocurrency associated with it called Ether that is similar in some ways to Bitcoin. However, with Ethereum, um, it has extra features which enable you to build something called smart contracts on the Ethereum platform. Right. Now, and, and you can also, as part of those contracts, transfer tokens that have some value according to the market. So 
What is a smart contract? Okay, a smart contract is a contract that executes itself with software code. So it could be something from as simple as, you know, if you if a token is received into this address, open up this lock or something like that or right. you know, put out some output. I'm not doing a very good job of explaining smart no, contracts. You're doing but it. That's like the application that some people see for them like if this then that. Mm-hmm. You know, and hopefully the then that part is some real world item that gets moved or or some real some action that happens in the real world. And right. it's enabled by this by this blockchain of um of smart contracts. Right? Yeah, and it's by defin by some definitions, it's trustless. It doesn't need like a governing body necessarily, you know, to 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 flip the switch. Like Right. Yeah. So you know, some people are very excited about this because they see it as a way to, you know, like if you keep layering these simple smart contracts on top of each other and you build up a complicated castle of smart contracts, mm-hmm. It might be very expensive, but you could potentially use that as some sort of governance structure. And then there are people, and this is where we get into our criticisms of it. There are people who want to use this platform for things that I would not consider good in the real world. Things that admittedly are administered inefficiently and bureaucratically by governments like ID systems, like uh, systems of taxation, like passports, like um, uh, marriage records, yeah, Yeah. the deeds, property ownership. Um, All those things, yes, they are administered in a clumsy, lazy fashion that could probably be updated better for the 21st century. But then again, if you put something that, that you fundamentally disagree with or think is bad on the blockchain, it doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it's not good to have a better, more efficient technology for the Nazis to keep track of who the Jews are. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying. <laughs> you, you went right to the Nazis. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah, then maybe that's a little bit hyperbolic. But I mean, I don't necessarily want um, those kinds of functions to be done more efficiently. And also, when you put stuff when you computerize stuff to a to a very high degree, mm-hmm. there's not that yes, it takes away some vulnerabilities, right? Where humans can be socially engineered. So you could say it's being made safer by by digitizing it and blockchainizing it. So you take take out some vulnerabilities, but you also introduce like a very unforgiving nature, right? Like a lot of times if if there's a screw up or a problem, a lot of times you need to just talk to a human being and they're like, oh yeah, I can fix that for you. Here, let me right. flip this switch or whatever. And you just, all you have to do is talk to a person and the problem is solved. <laughs> Whereas that's not possible with um, an Ethereum smart contract. The rules are the rules. The contract is the contract. It's very literal minded in the way it works. Yeah, you're pretty much putting a T-800 in, in charge and that being a Terminator like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You're pretty much putting a Terminator, you know, a T-800 in, in charge of, uh, you know, in, uh, right. it whatever doesn't, you're, you're giving it. The thing that executes the contract doesn't have a sense of ethics. It doesn't have a it doesn't have judgment. Doesn't have it, wiggle room. It doesn't have um, logic. Empathy. Well, it has logic, but it's a computer logic. It's mm-hmm. not like the logic of a rational being mm-hmm. that can take multiple different factors into consideration. It only right. has its code. And that could be a very reductionist approach in some ways. You know, sure. it's reducing things to the very bare language. And 
yeah, I mean, is there something to be said for removing that human element, right? Do we do we digitize things and technologize things so much that we lose our humanity? Anyway, um, and there's also people talking about using Ethereum to do really bad stuff like assassination drones and things like that. And their yeah. only defense against that is, well, it would be really expensive to execute that on the Ethereum blockchain. So yeah. nobody will do it. Yeah, I'll put it really in brief. I mean, a lot of my problems with Ethereum is just that like there's so many institutions effectively, and I use that term in a very broad sense that people want to put on to ethereum when most of those institutions just shouldn't exist in the first place yeah. that's that's kind of roundabout what you've been saying uh in, in, you know in many ways also uh, it makes things a target for being hacked there's always vulnerabilities and when you build up a complicated system like that like you had a tweet that went viral today brian saying that complexity is the enemy of security right well that yeah that's that is my other big issue with with ethereum is that it is like people talk about oh it's turing complete it's turing complete you know uh meaning alan turing would probably be rolling over (laughs) in his grave it would probably be like in his time if that exists if ethereum existed it would be executing him once it found out he was gay yeah (laughs) yeah based upon who's in charge uh yeah so i mean you know it being turing complete like i i tell people there's a reason that that i think satoshi nakamoto didn't make bitcoin turing complete there's security concerns over that. And there, there is the issue of complexity, you know, like, and overall, I mean, Ethereum has a complexity issue. Uh, and that's really, I think the DAO is the fruition of the proof of why things don't go Turing complete. Uh, and the, and the proof of the statement that I made, yes, that, that complexity is the enemy of security. I mean, that's, that's an old adage in the, you know, in the computer space. Right. Yeah. So because there's this complex system, the, the bugs are still being worked out. Now, what is the DAO? The DAO is distributed um, autonomous organization. That's what it stands for. Yeah. That's what, uh, the letters DAO stand for. Right. Now the DAO is the first example of a, of what its creators call a distributed autonomous organization that's actually been coded and released into the world and, and actually is supposed to work. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe there have been those kinds of things before or attempts at them or close. There have been attempts. Yes. You know, I don't want to mince words, but they named it the DAO because they kind of could do that because it's the first widely known and sort of used example of it. Well, and as far as like, I mean, it's, it was a crowdsource. You know, like so, that, that's right. So a company wrote this program basically on the Ethereum platform. A company wrote this code to raise some money to crowdfund their own platform. And I think the company was like Slocket, which is like a an, a uh, concatenation of smart lock. Mm-hmm. So they there's some kind of smart locking thing with which is like one of the prototypical use cases for smart contracts. Right. Is yep. unlocking and locking things, which. Yep. Sounds great, maybe on its face, but there's problems with it too. Oh, I could think of problems. <laughs> so me too, and we've discussed those at length. But anyway, so this company wrote the DAO, and what it is is like this crowdfunding thing. I guess it's a it's a bare bones governance structure whereby it had a funding phase and then an execution phase. Where in the funding phase, you could send ether to it, which is the the cryptocurrency of the ether platform. Mm-hmm. Um, the U.S. dollar, if you will, of America, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the native in-game currency of Ether. You would send that to the DAO and then the DAO would issue tokens, basically equity in the DAO. Correct. And then based on the amount of equity you you possessed after the funding phase was complete, you would have some kind of a, a vote or a stake. You would have a democratic vote in what 
the DAO does. Yeah, pretty much. And what it can do is fund proposals. So anyone can submit proposals to the DAO, and then the stakeholders vote with their tokens of which proposals get funded. Right. right? And and it was chaotic because anybody could invest in it and then anybody could could uh it's like a direct democracy but with a ton of people and it ended up going crazy because they this company wrote it to raise like half a million dollars i think and they ended up raising like 150 million dollars correct yes and so and then there were all these people that were saying well i'm gonna vote this way and i my investment style is conservative and mine's very liberal and there, there was and mine is is to create gridlock and you know mm-hmm. it was just like ooh, let's see what happens when we release this immature robot into the world <laughs> what could go wrong right well and, and immature- i talked about this with yeah. andreas on let's talk bitcoin and i my first thought was this is going to become tay Tay was the Microsoft AI that they released as like a Twitter bot. And it learned from what other people said on Twitter. And pretty soon it was calling people the N-word and tweeting anti-feminist tweets and things like that. Yeah. And and Microsoft shut it down because it was a failed experiment. It was was fucked up. Right. (laughs) It became a monster. And that's what I thought was going to happen to the DAO. Brian, did you... I've been sort of talking over you. No, no, no. You're doing great. You're laying it out. Uh, Keep going if you wish. Okay. So... I predicted that was what was going to happen with DAO. What did you predict, Brian, on your show, Sovereign Tech? Uh, well, you know, I don't think on Sovereign Tech I ever directly talked about the DAO. Oh, you weren't um, wanting I, to give it any attention, right? Yeah, I was, you know. <laughs> it got enough on its own. Though I will say, like, I was a, a somewhat secret project um, I was interviewed for, and I was asked a lot of questions about all of this. And actually, one of my predictions was, or one of the questions was, what is my prediction for the DAO and what is my prediction for Ethereum? And this was some weeks ago. And I, and I said all of the above that it's just, it's all going to fail. It's all, it's all, you know, all a bad idea. I brought up complexities, the enemy of security, uh, you know, all these different things. Um, and it's all true. I mean, and, and really, I know Vitalik wants to, Vitalik Buterin, the, the, you the know, creator kind of, of Ethereum, right? The Satoshi of, uh, you know, of Ethereum. Um, effectively is wanting to say that this does not uh, speak badly about Ethereum at all. Uh, I totally disagree. Uh, This absolutely has bearing upon Ethereum because this is the whole point of Ethereum. If Ethereum was just supposed to be money, then you don't need Ethereum. You just, you would just use Mm -hmm. Bitcoin. You know, like this is a proof of concept. The first one of what is supposed to happen uh, or, you know, how all this is supposed to work. This is going to be the big platform. You know, Ethereum's the giant virtual machine on the blockchain, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and what happened is is it failed. And it failed because there was no security audit done. Um, I mean, there, there's a whole slew of reasons why this failed. Well, I would say part of the reason it failed was because people stupidly invested in it. Well, that that's the other thing. I've said that. Now, I've said that on Sovereign Tech for a long, right? long, like, long don't, time. If you're going to invest, like... I'm not saying there should be accredited investors and shit nope. like that, but like, don't just send your money to something because it sounds cool and you're excited. Like, you know what I mean? If you don't yeah. really know it, what it is or what it's going to do, well, maybe be a little cautious with your money, you know? like Yeah. And supposedly, I mean, somebody has stolen some odd $80 million out, right. of, so, out of this. So and, what happened today was that it was it came out that there is some kind of vulnerability or basically exploit you know, some, a lot some of that's still getting figured out. Bug in the DAO, which allowed some kind of attacker to drain the address where all the funding went, one hundred fifty million dollars or however much, mm-hmm. into a different address. Now, 
they drained it into a child DAO, apparently, which is like a fork of that code. And or into a wallet. Whatever, however into, into a wallet. Yeah. yeah, you could think of it as a yeah. wallet. And so on the Ethereum blog, they're saying that even if nothing else happens, the attacker is not going to be able to withdraw any Ether, which is the in-game currency mm-hmm. that was used to fund the DAO, for another month, 27 days. Sure. And... Um, so they're going to try to figure out what to do in the meantime. But in the meantime, they want some kind of a software fork to prevent this from going anywhere and try to recover the coins. Yeah. And they're calling it a soft fork instead of a hard fork or whatever, uh, because they're they're just doing they're really doing a, they want they're recommending a rollback um, of sorts. They, so Vitalik says it's not a rollback or not a rollback. No transactions or blocks will be reversed. But. Uh, it's going to make the proposed fork is going to make any transactions that make any reference to the the hacked account invalid. I I think I mean that's still kind of scary because it's specific specifically targeting one address, which is a point of theft yeah, or whatever. There's a whole slew of issues here, and there's a lot of people that are calling for a rollback. They're calling for all kinds of things. Yeah. Uh, so he he proposes to make it impossible for the attacker to withdraw the ether that they stole, and then sort of figure out what to do. But either way, this is well, I'm, centralized I'm, power. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't invest in this. Yeah. Appears to be going down in flames. More coming. You know, if you lose all your money investing in the DAO or Ether or whatever, um, you might end up living with your parents. Well, you know, I just want to say something real quick. <laughs> okay, what? Uh, that was a great segue. That we was, have to a, come was back an awesome to that. segue. Okay. okay. Uh, I just want to say that the, the reason, like, you know, software, you run, on, run into bugs, and sometimes a bug in software can crash a company. Mm-hmm. All of that is, is perfectly normal. This stuff happens, and, you know, you mitigate it and you go on. My cons- you know, I just want to say my main problem here is that Ethereum, people are talking about Ethereum, generally very bright people. You know, and I, I, yeah. I'm not putting that in quotes, but maybe I should. Okay, are talking about Ethereum replacing governments? They're talking about Ethereum oh. really being the oh, form boy, of governance that the world has. That's the problem. <laughs> okay, is that we're not just talking about something that is you know that is going to balance your checkbook or that is going to you know sync your notes on your computer. We're talking about something that people are literally saying is going to replace. Uh, government replace everything, all the ways that we do business and the ways that you verify what you own. Mm-hmm. You're talking about literally restructuring in many ways, the fabric of what we know of as modern civilization with this. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what these people are talking and about. And the visionaries of Ethereum use that phrase quite often. Restructuring. Yes. We are restructuring society. We're going to code people into good behavior. Right. Those are direct quotes from Ethereum visionaries and founders. Right. And that's why this is so serious. That's why it's not just, I mean, granted, it's not just a few thousand dollars or even a million dollars. It's $80 million that, you know, and, and technically $150 million that went down the drain if the DAO fails. <laughs> well, yeah, for, I mean, what about the value of Ether that crashed? Yeah, People it went down some odd today. 20, 30%. I mean, you know, there was a pretty significant drop. Oh, yeah. Okay, um, but that—that's what—that's what I want people to understand. And I know there's a lot of people saying, "Look, okay, the DAO was just really mismanaged and all that stuff." But that's the same argument I heard over Ethereum: is that look, no, Ethereum's just mismanaged. They're getting things together because they did a 16 million dollar crowdfund themselves, you know, for oh, Ethereum, and right, it took yeah. it took forever for a product to actually get released. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is the you can't 
First off, those excuses, I think, are invalid when we're talking about something that's supposedly going to reshape society. Okay, but but second off is that when when do those excuses, I mean, when is enough enough? When is it like, okay, then everything's been mismanaged. When does it, when do you finally just say this whole project, this whole experiment is shit? Yeah, you know? <laughs> I think people are just really um, like sometimes too eager to jump on board with something just because it's hot or it's trendy or it's right. people or there's smart people who believe in it and are promoting it. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, there was a big theft of NXT back. Uh, this is two years ago. Yes. It was August. NXT is another cryptocurrency. An yeah. Alternative cryptocurrency. Right. It was August 2014, something like that. OK, there was like 15 million NXT or something stolen, however that worked out. And they were talking about doing a rollback to pretend that it never happened. But they didn't. But they didn't. Yeah, because, the community decided we're mm-hmm. not going to do that rollback. Okay, right? And that's and, and good for them. Of because course, it's such a slippery slope. When you decide to do, when you decide to alter the the software code to retroactively alter to, history, yeah, to go back and erase a theft. Where do you stop? Like what 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 events justify that and what don't? And it it it's just bad news when you start. And people lose faith in the cryptocurrency right. and the software because you know if their transaction could just be erased, then too bad for them you know right kudos to them for not rolling it back even though technically that may be what caused the ultimate downfall of nxt i don't know if it was that but yeah that's up to debate that's fine okay but the bottom line is is that nobody in nxt was saying that they planned on replacing all of these institutions and doing all this other wacky wild shit yeah nobody that narrative didn't exist (laughs) in nxt higher standard and burden of proof when you're saying you're going to literally reshape society and code people into good behavior right so i didn't care i understood that these things happened with software like that because nobody was out there laying out all this you know nonsense that oh this is going to replace governments and all this shit i mean yeah it was going to replace something it was definitely like free you know nxt free market and all that was going to replace the way we did trade and all that you know to some degree i mean there's there's some of that in there changing the way people trade is one thing or replacing or giving them more options on how to do it is one thing right out competing ebay is one thing but do you think all those government bureaucrats who administrate deeds marriages id systems everything else taxes do you think they're going to go quietly and just say, oh, yeah, I'd love for a robot to do my job. Why, yeah, don't, no way. why don't I just stop working and collecting a paycheck? Right. No way. Yeah, absolutely. I've been wanting to retire early anyway. No, they're not going to do that. Yeah. So that, that <laughs> they're going to kick and scream and right. try to ban it. And anyone they can identify, they will probably sue, you know, and th- not to mention like. You know, the the SEC, there was so much about these crypto equities like a couple of years ago with uh, with the government was, you know. Yeah. And look at what's happened to Bitcoin. It's become regulated. And so they're not going to they're not going to just lay down and take this government. They're not just going to be like, oh, yeah, we totally accept that we're going to be replaced by Ethereum. Let's bring it on. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, but that's the bottom line is, yes, these things happen. It's true. Normally, they don't happen with that much people's money with that many people's money on the line. Okay, but the problem is, is the narrative underneath this thing is that this is supposed to be you know, do or die as far as like, this is the way that we're going to get rid of government or that we're going to get rid of whatever institutions and all that. I never and, bought that line. It was sold from the beginning and I never believed right, that. Right. And that's, that's the real problem here. So uh, that, that's all I wanted to say on it. Now let's talk about not leaving your parents' house. And maybe that's a good idea, especially if, like you said, we did invest <laughs> or someone did invest in the DAO. Yeah. You're going to want to like stay in your parents' basement if you did. I yeah. guess. <laughs> so anyway, we're, we're getting into the science segment here. Um, this is from boingboing.net. It says, and it's by Cory Doctorow. Of course. Yeah. Which he owns boing boing. Great, yep. great stuff. 
More single adults living with parents than on their own since the first time or for the first time since the 1880s. A, a Pew Research, uh, well, he actually said a new Pew Research new report. Pew. <laughs> Had to say that slow. <laughs> Been narrating all day, excuse me. A new Pew Research report finds that the number of single adults living with their parents is at historic high levels. In the U.S., the number of singles at, still at home outnumber the cohort of those living out of the home, something last seen in the 1880s. It's not just the USA either. Young people all over the world are staying with their parents in record numbers. The numbers can be attributed can't be attributed solely to low wages and delayed marriage. Some of the blame has to go to record high property values in most of the world's great cities, driven by offshore speculators who want to smuggle their money out of aristocratic, unstable company, countries and park it in a relatively liquid asset class, the safe deposit box in the sky. Do you agree with that, that these foreign investors are driving up property values? I think it's a lot of its taxes are, are just increasing the cost of living for everybody. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that because, I mean, that this is the age-old stuff. All the Japanese are buying up all the land and they're hijacking everything and all. And, and none, of, none of that stuff's true. And, yeah, and I, it sounds a little xenophobic to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that the cost of living is going up and a lot of that is attributable to taxes and hidden taxes, like, like the hidden tax of inflation. Right. You know, which the true numbers are kind of hidden. I mean, in that aside, you know, in the regulatory system that we exist within the entire planet, foreign investing in land is one of the few safe ways to actually hold on to your, you know, to your wealth. Well, that's what Corey's saying. He's yeah. saying it's the safe deposit box in the sky. So, right. So I, mean, I agree that with that makes, statement. That kind of makes sense. But yeah, again, it's driven by governments, right? Unstable governments or, tr- or money grabbing governments in those other yeah, countries. Yeah. It's like, why are people buying land in the first place? It's yeah. because of insane regulations. Right. And the cost of regulations that increase the cost of living here. There's all these hidden costs and taxes. And yeah, it is getting more expensive to live. Yeah. It is getting more expensive by the year. Absolutely. (laughs) So anyway, um, it makes sense that people would want to live with their parents because it's cheap. Yeah. Right? Yeah, certainly. (laughs) You've you've already been doing it since you were a kid, so why not keep doing it? Anyway, um, cities from Vancouver, this is back to Corey, cities from Vancouver to New York to Toronto to Miami to London to Paris now sport apartment blocks and streets whose occupancy is lower than at any time, even as the value of those properties increases monotonically, tempting even more speculators into the market. In many cases, the absentee owners are breaking their own country's laws by owning property overseas, as the Panama Papers revealed. Offshore money launderers are a favorite way of evading detection. What's more, many of these countries prohibit the people who live abroad from buying property in their cities. These trends break down differently across genders. And this is from the Pew. uh, This is an excerpt from the Pew report. And then the article's over. These trends break down differently across genders. Since 2009, a higher share of men ages 18 to 34 have been living with mom and or dad than with a partner in their own home. In 2014, 28% were living as part of a romantic couple, while 35% were living with parents. 35% of men ages 18 to 34 are living in mom's basement. What about women? Uh, Young women, meanwhile, are actually still more likely to be living with a spouse or partner. 35% are living with a spouse or partner between the ages of 18 to 34. 
um, than they are to be living with their parents. Only 29% of women, young women, live in mom's basement, but they too are approaching that threshold. Well, that's, I mean, it's a 6% difference. I mean, there's times where 6% 6 means everything. This is one of those times where I don't think it does. Uh, well, you could say that the six percent of men are—they are the six percent. They are the, <laughs> right. the nerdy libertarians who can't get laid, so they're in mom's basement. Right, forever. but that's still twenty-nine percent. Is still a very high number of people in that age group that are yeah. still living. And you know, I think—I I mean, I, do we have more imperative? Uh, um, they say in the um, in the Pew study that yes, yeah, the last paragraph, education levels played a significant role in determining who lives at home. And uh, they show a chart that says people without young people without college degrees are more and more likely to be living with their parents than their mm. college educated peers. Sure. Well, I mean, do, do you have any thoughts on this or I could I could share some? What, what do you... It's the MGTOWs. They're going their own <laughs> way in mom's basement. No, I'm just kidding. How brave. I, I don't really have any thoughts on it. Uh, it. Just accept to comment that I believe that more young people are living with their parents because they can't freaking afford to live on their yeah. own. Yeah, absolutely. And it is true that two can live cheap more cheaply than one or just as cheaply as one, basically. That, right. you know, having a partner that you share expenses with um, doesn't add that much in terms of expenses, but it can you know, it can significantly help a lot. Certainly. So, yeah. I mean, significantly help a lot. Yeah. That was yeah. <laughs> very intelligent sounding <laughs> stuff. Right. Dr. Murphy. We haven't eaten yet. So, <laughs> so what about you? Do you have? Well, I, I have two points on this. One is, is that this is, you know, the idea of a lot of people owning homes, I think is a very new thing. And, you know, you want to talk about like in the grand scheme, you know, uh, I, home ownership is, Something, I mean, you know, people call that the American dream. Well, the American dream is manufactured. Like it's, it's not real. It's not a real thing. It's BS. It's marketing. Uh, the man's home is this castle. All those statements were literally made up by marketing companies. Um, they are not part of the genuine, you know, what America is all about. Right. Um, so, you know, people owning homes in that age group is, you know, outside, you know, grand look at history is very odd. It's an incredible oddity that doesn't even take up a second in the grand times of history, right? Kind of like a Carl Sagan's, you know, uh, uh, mm. uh, calendar. Uh, so, I mean, so that's very rare. So, so there's nothing like, I don't think there's necessarily anything like terribly wrong with this outside of the conventional concept that people think of, you know, that the person's got to own their own home and all that to be mature and blah, well, blah, blah. Yeah. And I, but, I've heard for a while that like American culture, like part of American culture is this independence and that when you, when you turn 18, you move out of your parents' house and you stand on your own two feet. And then in Asian societies, you live with your grandparents forever and, you, and people respect their elders and yeah. that's honorable about their culture. But we got that in America, rugged a, American individualism. Right. Sorry. In America, America, that's only been it. true for like 50 years at best. So, I mean, so that's, that's not like that whole idea, that concept, you know, that people move out at 18 and all that stuff. That's not true for Americans either. And 50 years is not a metric with, by which you can, you know, really gauge. You could, that's, that's the bare minimum of what you gauge as something being normal. Well, um, it is one generation. I mean, like, I think there, the reason that this could be concerning is because of people's expectations about when they'll be free from like doing the day to day parenting thing. Like, well, like if you think, you know, if you because you moved out of your parents house at 18 or 16, even or maybe even earlier, 
And you think you're going to have kids and then in 16, 18 years, you'll be free and you, you'll have an empty nest and you'll be able to do other things with your life. Right. Think again. They might be living with you until they're 35. They right. might be living with you forever. Well, then parents need to be funding it, right? Like they need to fund the person getting out of the house. <laughs> like if that's, oh, if that's right. your- Oh, right. A lot of people move out and then their parents pay their rent. Yeah. Because I, I, that's a conventional thing. You're, you're right. I agree with you. That's a problem. And I have a second point too, but I, but I just want to touch on that, is that parents expect the kids to do it. No, if you want your kid to leave your house at 18, you better start funding it right away before you have the kid. I mean, that, that, that's, that's insane for, for parents, you know, to put that on, on their children. Um, but that aside, there is also an expectation on kids that I think comes along with this. In fact, I was listening to, uh, one of my, one of my favorite podcasts, uh, one of it's kind of a network. It's called Collider. I'll give them a little plug. Um, and they were interviewing one of their, one of their, uh, you know, kind of host, uh, she's a woman on there. They, they, I mean, they, they brought her on because a, she's kind of a professional actress and B she's very attractive. She's actually an Iranian woman. You know, she sounds perfectly American, but anyway, um, she was saying, you know, she's like 20 something pushing 30 and she said she still lives with her parents, but what was, what was ironic and there's other ones on there and they all said that they don't want to like, they get questions like what's your favorite swear word used in a movie and stuff like this. Okay. I mean the, the questions have a little more meat than that. I'm just being simple. Uh, and they, they would say they weren't going to say because they're still living with their parents. <laughs> and I mean, like, like there was all these wow. situations that they were like, I mean, sometimes sexual stuff would come up and these people are full on adults. They're in their twenties or in their thirties, whatever. Okay. But there's all these situations where they didn't want to say because they're still living with their parents and their parents are still looking at their work. Okay. So, wow. so there is a real problem with people not having the independence of still living at home. Because they're still beholden to their parents' rules, right? That was why you wanted to move out when you were 18. Yes. All my friends, anyway, and me, like to a certain extent, it was like, oh man, I'm going to be free. I'll get to like live my own life and do what I, and stay out until midnight if I want to and whatever, you know, like do whatever. And I'll be the one in charge and I won't be having someone else looking down on me and saying, you have to do this so that you have you know, the ability to live. If you're going to live in my house, you have to follow my rules. Absolutely. My, my oldest brother, he, he ended up moving out of the house at 16 with a bunch of guys. Cause it was the legalist or the, the most, the first it was time the youngest age that you could legally do that. And yeah. he got it. He got it with four other guys to be able to afford it. And this was, you know, 20 years ago, however mm. long ago or yeah, 30 years ago, even. Um, and myself, I mean, yeah, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't fuck in, in my parents' house. So I went out and I got the biggest car I could find when I, when I got old enough. <laughs> Parked so it that, in your mom's driveway and went to town. Damn skippy. So I could fucking <laughs> that thing. I called it an MFP, a mobile fucking platform. Okay. That was the name of the car. I mean, so, <laughs> you, the way you're talking about that, you had to have a partner who was willing to participate, right? Like you weren't just Of like, course. But yeah. the, but I, you know, the venue had to be available too, right? I mean, you know, the, the conditions had to exist. Uh, so so yeah, and, and as soon as I could, I wanted to get out of there. So yeah, so there's a whole lot of social issues based around this. You know, I mean, it, it kind of plays both ways. If parents are wanting, you know, to have that freedom after their kid gets out, well, maybe maybe not even have kids in the first place because clearly you're so concerned about having your own freedom. But at the same time, yeah, a kid would like their freedom from the rules in the house. And look at what happens. I mean, when you know, even on on well, you know, people making good money in L.A. and all that stuff, they can't leave their you know their their parents' house oh, and they LA. are beholden. Well, that's the hard. That's hard because the cost of living high too. yeah it's almost as bad as nyc absolutely think yeah. about a rural area and think about a state that has lower taxes yes that, um, i agree with both of those statements yeah because like if if it's a choice you know 
And I I get it, too. Like, I want to be sensitive to this. Like, there are some kids that literally get thrown out of their parents' house because they're gay. Yes. So, and for them, like, I think the best bet is probably to go find a city where you're going to find a gay community that is going to be your your chosen family. Yeah. um, And is going to is going to help you with the things that your family should be helping you with. Your family of origin should be helping you with. Absolutely. Because they don't accept you. But... If you're if you're not getting kicked out of your parents' house at a young age, like teenager age, because you're gay or for some other reason, you know, if you're in your 20s and you're leaving and you just want to get out of your parents' house because you want to be more independent, consider, you know, a more rural area where you can still get to the city if you want to, if you want right. to go out or something, but you won't be paying city prices to live. Yeah, and I mean, if it's in a lower tax area, you know, like don't I don't know how anybody lives in New York City. There was some study saying for Boston, there was some study saying something like you have to make like a hundred grand a year just to afford like living in Boston. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, granted, even like fast food jobs in those cities, you know, the the pay rate reflects the fact that it's more expensive to live there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I mean, there is that, but it's still insane. Have you seen like lately there seemed to be a pushback against this like thing this like poor shaming thing basically where like for a while there were lots of people, rich people, rich white people Mm. who would write articles. um, And I'm not saying they didn't get rich through their own efforts, some of them and whatever, but there were lots of people who would basically write these articles about how you can like make little pennies online by doing these odd jobs and how you can basically save all this money by cutting out your cup of coffee and cutting out your fast food and so forth. Uh And there seems to be this big backlash against that lately. Like people are saying basically like stop telling poor people that you can save your way out of poverty if you just cut and clip coupons enough. Like, there's a certain point where you really can't cut anymore. Things are getting more expensive. Wages are not rising to the level where they support the increases in prices. And you're ending up with a situation where the situation like the solution is not to tell poor people to deny themselves little pleasures they just need to be earning more money or else they're never going to you know you can only cut so much do you, no, do you understand a, yeah, what yeah it's a bandaid yeah like these solutions are a bandaid and they're an insulting one they're a big they're a bandaid you know being put on a gigantic gash across somebody's face uh that isn't you know solving the problem at all and and i agree it is kind of shaming um i also you know i'll admit too I, I get annoyed in the same time at like this, this, uh, uh fetishization of poor, of living the poor life of, of, oh, of piety. Yeah. like people like, who are like, Oh, I'm going to live in a tiny house because I can choose to, I'm going to, I'm going to sell my million dollar mansion and get a tiny house because I'm trying to get back to simplicity. It's like, bitch, you know, <laughs> some people, <laughs> some people grew up in a trailer and they didn't have a choice, you know, like you, you're going back to a trailer because you choose to. And that's great that you have that choice, but not everybody does. Right? right. But they glorify that life. And it's like, you know, how many people would say, fine, you know, how many genuinely poor people would say, here, I'll give you my life. You give me yours. OK, if you love it so goddamn much. Yeah. Here, like, take switch places with me. right? Yeah. I mean, they there's no nobody pays attention to the fact that these people are doing so with the security blanket of, you know, six, seven figures in the bank. You know, I mean, that that makes things very different. They are not living a pious life, uh, you know, when when they have that. Not really. Not when you have that security of, well, I don't have to live this life. 
Uh, you know, I mean, and granted, you could say, well, nobody has to live it. They can go out and get a job. No, there's genuine problems. And that's what we're talking about here. There's genuine issues yeah. out there. And, and yes, like I'm not saying that people have the power to change their station in life. You mm-hmm. know, like I'm not saying that everybody's doomed to be in the same socioeconomic class as their parents. Nope. But at the same time, you are sort of pulled towards the same socioeconomic class as your parents. And yeah. because of something you did not choose and have no control over the circumstances of your birth, you have certain opportunities available to you early in life or not mm-hmm. based on who your parents were, what neighborhood you grew up in, what color you are, what your parents do for jobs and so on. You yeah. know, so. Yeah, I I know. I mean, I don't I don't want to get into I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm a whiny SJW and stop <laughs> poor shaming, you know, everything's shaming these days. But then again, I can sort of see the argument in some ways, you know. Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's some truth to it. Yeah. Uh, that's why entire books can get written about it because yeah. there are grains of truth. Like uh, one one thing I saw recently, I saw this article that was about poor shaming the idea of Mm -hmm. poor shaming and the argument is just what we just talked about which which is that all these people now are are romanticizing the lifestyle of a a person of little means Mm -hmm. and it's great that they have that choice but like the author of the article was saying i just grew up that way and we ate like pickles for dinner because that's all we could afford not because we chose to have charcuterie or whatever that was like poor people's (laughs) food because it's the only thing they could afford so and we lived in a tiny house because that's all we could afford right yeah you know yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but I think I can see that. Yeah, I I think we're making the see how that would be annoying, right? <laughs> yeah, of, of course it's annoying. There's a great song by William Shatner and Joe Jackson called "Common People." I totally recommend people listening to that because it, it just brings up exactly what's because it's all about this woman that tries. She thinks being poor is cool, you know, and she doesn't understand the reason that everybody dance and drinks and screws is because it's all they can do. You know, it's not because it's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So but I think I mean, we're hitting at the heart here. The problem is regulations, you know, like that's that's really what's causing so much of this. I mean, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of shaming that goes around, too. But but that at the end of the day. Yeah, well, that was an interesting tangent. Um, I had another article about children and parents. Oh, um, this is kind of interesting. We can, I think, fit this into this segment. Let's do it. So from AOL. (laughs) Oh, Um, by Verizon. (laughs) <laughs> and this is by Will Boggs, MD, so it's actually by a doctor. Children born or kids born, quote, late perform better in elementary and middle school. Define born late for me. So children born in this is from the article, children born in the 41st week of pregnancy, which is considered, quote, late term, okay. have better test scores and are more likely to be classified as gifted in elementary and middle school compared with children born, quote, full term. That is at 39 or 40 weeks. So basically, the the full a pregnancy is considered done full term. Yeah. The standard length of a pregnancy is 40 weeks. Right. right. That's the classical length of time that you're supposed to be pregnant. If you're pregnant for more than 40 weeks, um, you know, they tell you that you're late term. However, as we just discussed last week, right, uh-huh. or no, two weeks ago, maybe. No, oh, about Throughout the month. Yeah. Women can ovulate at different, not necessarily Just in the middle of the of the month. Right. And they date the, the date that you became pregnant from the date of your last menstrual period. But it 
it, it can be off by a couple of weeks. Right. So it's kind of hard to know, like, okay, 38, 42 weeks, or those might be normal pregnancies too. So I kind of wonder if part of it might have something to do with the inaccurate kind of dating of pregnancies. I can already, I think this might be true, mm-hmm. but I can, I can already say why, and it has nothing to do with biology. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, why do you think? I think it's because... I mean, a lot of times pregnancies, the length of a pregnancy or the shortness of a pregnancy is based around stress. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that if it's a late pregnancy, there's the statistical chance, in my opinion, that this is a mother who does not experience much in the way of stress. Mm-hmm. And thus, I would perhaps assume that she comes from a a family that's rather well off or she's in a family system that is that is doing very well mm-hmm. and isn't very stressful in all of this. Um, also, that she's also doing very well because, you know, the doctor, you know, she's not going to Planned Parenthood and the doctor saying, all right, let's see section right now. We're not going to wait for this baby to come out. Let's just do it. But right this I don't second. know if that's like Planned Parenthood doctors who do that or, or people who care for lower income women. I think like even um, doctors, OBGYNs to the rich and famous, mm-hmm. the, the woman gets to 40 mm-hmm. weeks and they're like, all right, let's go. Let's I want to go out. on vacation next week. Come on. We got to give birth. Right. That might debunk what I'm saying. But I, I think that, that there still might be something to the fact that, you know, it's a low stress situation. And that means it will also be low stress for the kid. And thus the kid can actually, you know, uh, have better in a better environment to develop within. Uh, maybe the w- maybe the women who are chilled out about it and they're like, yeah, it'll come when it's ready. Maybe they're more likely to go with natural childbirthing methods and Perhaps. natural parenting approaches rather than medical intervention, you know, rather than leaning toward the side of more medical intervention. I don't yeah. know. I think a lot of that all comes down to what is is the family environment stressful or not. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think it has anything to do with being in the womb longer is my point. I think yeah. it has more to do with what exists, you know, what is the situation, the family situation outside. I don't know. But, you know, I'm also kind of concerned when I read this that like, you know, mothers who didn't have their baby at 41 weeks or 42 weeks, mothers that whose babies just came earlier for mm-hmm. some reason or even that were born prematurely are going to read this and say like, oh, fuck, I didn't do everything I can. I'm a bad mother because I yeah. obviously I didn't do everything I could to keep my bun in the oven for 41 or 42 weeks, which is now scientifically proven to have better, make a smarter kid. And so I don't, that's just another thing for moms to get stressed out about, which yep. they don't need because every but like when a woman is pregnant, everybody is just judging her and giving advice and like saying, oh, you should do this. You should do that. And she's like, she probably just wants to be left the fuck alone. You yeah, know? absolutely. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Whenever your baby comes is when they come. You can't necessarily, you know, if they come earlier than whatever, than 40 or 41 or 42 weeks, whatever. That's just when they came. But I think the takeaway from this maybe is don't freak out if the baby takes more than 40 weeks naturally, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there, there are some It'll genuine... It'll come and it's good time, right? Right, that, that's it. I mean, you know, whenever your baby comes out, it's perfect. So, I mean, that, that's... <laughs> well, not whenever, because sometimes they can't survive if it's too well, early. But... Well, no, right. I mean, those are those are genuine things to be <laughs> so concerned about. This is range, not one of them. Whenever it range... comes out is when it comes out, right? Yeah. <laughs> it is what it yeah. is. I mean, I know, I know, yeah. If I mean, if it's a really short period of time, obviously there's concerns over can the baby actually breathe when it comes out and all this stuff. And, you know, in lack of oxygen, does that have a problem with brain development, blah, blah, mm. blah. I mean, yeah, then there's real concerns. But this stuff, come on. But yeah, these numbers are, are ridiculous and meaningless to some degree, I think. So 
Here's another part in this article. On the other hand, they say late-term infants were also more likely than full-term infants to have abnormal physical conditions of birth and physical disabilities at school age. So they might be, they might be more, so babies born late, they score better on tests and they have better grades, but they're also more likely to have physical disabilities. Ah, see, that's what happens when we don't get through the whole article, but I don't know that that changes much. And babies born prematurely uh, were, had a bigger difference in their intellect than babies born at normal, normal term. So they, they were, they scored less well. It's interesting, but really parents just be good stewards. Yeah, I mean, you try your best, right? That's right. This is Sex and Science Hour. More coming up for that listener email. It's Sex and Science Hour. We're in the third segment now. This hour goes by so fast. Cutting the cord, getting out of the womb, (laughs) and right. right. (laughs) Um, Were you late? Do you know? mm, I, I was actually... Like three days earlier than my mother's due date or something, oh, but you know those one. things aren't accurate anyway. So I think I was like exactly forty weeks. You were kind of normal, yeah. But but really, who knows? Because it could have she could have gotten pregnant any time. I don't know. No no tangent to get onto, but I just want to just kind of like say how meaningless some of these numbers are. Like, isn't there something about if the baby's born at night or something, it does this better and all stuff? It's like, oh come on! Like, I mean, oh, what's going to happen? Like, our, like our mother's going to like hold it in? You know? I mean, are you judging? based upon the magnetic field of Mars yeah, and all that. I mean, like, oh, I'm pretty sure even if that even if those correlations are true, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you can affect them and you can change their personality if you like just hold off, don't have the baby yet. We want it to be this other si- yeah, wait sign. Wait until Mars is in my star sign or something. I don't right. Know. <laughs> no, you can't do that. It's just like no. Oh, um right. <laughs> So anyway, um where were we? We were I, on a listener question. We were. Thank you, Brian. We were so, cutting the cord. <laughs> so uh, we got an update. We Last week, we talked about Mount Gox, and we were musing about what is going on with the Mount Gox bankruptcy case? What is yeah. happening with people who had Bitcoins stuck in there two years ago or whenever? Yeah, because uh, Gox than, went insolvent. Two years ago? No, it was November. Maybe 2013. 2013, so yeah. two and a half years ago. Yeah. I'll say three. Okay, so it's been a while. Yeah, I uh, mean, you know, when you're talking about this stuff, you want to make it sound as bad as you can. So three right. years, all right, oh, let's the go. situation's bad. So we actually got an update from one of our listeners who is involved in that case because he had bitcoins in Malco. He had four bitcoins in Malco. Yeah, and I don't blame him. I mean, when you had, you know, people coming out saying, no, everything's fine. I mean, you know, well-respected people I still respect. Luminary saying everything's fine there. I mean, oh God! Remember the Roger Ver. Well, I wasn't going to name names, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> I wonder what the story was with that. Yeah, I, if he believed that everything was fine, or if he was coerced, or something. Yeah. Bottom line, I don't think anybody was foolish for having their money there. I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, um, hey, you two. He says in answer, and I'm not going to say who it is because we we just have this. It's always been my policy since I started podcasting to keep emails anonymous to leave the name off unless the person specifically says like yeah you can say who i am right just because you know i think that encourages other people to write to us if they have a sensitive issue 
if they don't want their name revealed, they'll trust that we'll just automatically do that unless they tell us otherwise. But if you really don't want your name revealed, you could pretend to be Larry Page and email us through the contact form on our website. Right. But if you (laughs) do want us to make you... somebody did. Yeah. But if you do want us to make you famous, we'll make you famous. Anyway, go, go, go for it. Anyway, okay. So this listener says, hey, you two, in answer to your question from the after show about what is up with Mt. Gox... The bankruptcy court has approved or denied the claims against the assets of Mt. Gox. There is a period for contesting those decisions ending in the next few days, and then hopefully we'll be moving toward the disbursement phase where we start getting our claims paid out. Mm -hmm. Most of my claim was approved, and it was about four bitcoins. Based on the amount of approved claims and assets available to distribute, I think I'll be lucky to get one full bitcoin out of it, but it's better than nothing. It's actually been easier than I expected. This whole being an unsecured creditor in a Japanese bankruptcy case thing. Wow. The, the court has been fairly communicative and the process has been easy to follow, though I've b- it has been moving at typical bureaucratic speed. I feel bad for people who had much more important amounts locked up in this mess. I'll let you know if I ever manage to wrest any actual Bitcoin from the foul clutches of old magical tucks and his minions. Take care and keep up the good work. That was funny. Nice. I love that line. That is that's great. <laughs> yes, do let us know if you manage to wrest any Bitcoins from the foul clutches of magical tucks and his minions. Yeah. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> good luck. I hope uh, anyone who's listening, I hope you get your Bitcoins back or as much of it as you can possibly recover. Um. So anyway, we did have another email from fake Larry Page, but I think we'll save that for the after show because it pertains. It pertains oh, it, to it, the after show. It's relevant. <laughs> it's appurtenant to the... That, that's a word. It sure is. So we, we are now in the sex uh, segment of Woo! the show. And everybody's favorite. <laughs> is it everybody's favorite? I don't I know. I think so. Maybe. We get complaints if we don't talk about sex. We do. Yeah, we were told our show was lame for a while because we weren't <laughs> talking about enough sex for this person. I'll I said, I'll up. be happy to give you a refund. That's my standard <laughs> reply. Here's your refund. Anyway, for what do we got? podcast. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so this is an interesting study. It's called Not in the Mood. Study in Mice Sheds Light on Human Libido. And this is by someone's name that I'm very sorry, I'm not going to even try to pronounce her name, Agata but you tried it anyway. She's got like a Polish name. I, I'm sorry, I can't um, pronounce it. I could it, try, but, but I won't. Let's do it. Live Science. She's a staff writer. Pain seems to discourage female <laughs> mice from having sex, but it does not stop male mice from copulating. According Wait a minute. To she's a writing study. about sex and she's a staff writer? Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> that's not even funny. <laughs> In the study, female mice were in pain, sorry, female mice that were in pain were less motivated to have sex, whereas males who were also in pain still wanted to copulate. Yep, this is true. <laughs> the this is true for humans. <laughs> likely has to do with the different evolutionary pressures that male and female mice face, the researchers said. A similar biological rather than cultural mechanism might be at play when it comes to human sexual desire, they said. Uh... Since giving birth and raising babies has costs associated with it, you might expect that they, female mice, would at least, or their genes would want them to, make sure that they're in pretty good shape to have babies and take care of them, said study author Jeffrey Mogill of McGill University of Canada. And pain might signal to female mice that they might not be in perfect health and it might not be a good time to have babies right now, Mogill said. Whereas in the males, as long as you get through conception, your job is done. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) blow a load. That's it. Good job. Um, And the health of the males does not really matter after that, (laughs) Mogill told Live Science. 
To test sexual motivation in mice, the researchers put male and female mice in a mating chamber. Ooh, is that like a bed chamber? Like that a, sounds hey, hot. Baby, mating we're going to put chamber. you in the mating chamber tonight. I want to be put into a mating chamber. Like, <laughs> like really bad. All well, right. you probably wouldn't want to be injured and then put into a mating chamber. Yeah, well, yeah. And divided the males and females with a barrier containing openings that were too small for the males to squeeze through. But, it's a glory hole. <laughs> yeah, literally. But big enough to, for the females to get through to the males if they wanted. This way, the researchers were able to make sure that if any sex took place, it was initiated by the females. That's a really clever thing. So it's a glory hole that the female can walk through, but not the male. Yeah, all right. The researchers also tested sexual motivation in the male mice by placing them in an undivided chamber where they had unlimited access to female mice. The female and male mice whose libidos were being tested received injections of substances that caused inflammatory pain in their genitals. Oh, my God. Ouch. Or other areas of their bodies, such as their paws, tails or cheeks. The poor little the cheeks. cheeks. That's sad. And right in those cheeks. Yeah. Um, I mean, they do this. They inject like um, carrageenan usually, which is like a seaweed fiber into their paws and it causes like an inflammation. Ouch, my well, paw hurts. I mean, Stephanie I've is never a... seen them injected into genitals. That sounds kind of cruel. Yeah. I mean, you as a PhD is a, is a mighty slayer of many mice. Um, I mean, <laughs> well, you are. It you for are... science. I know. I feel bad <laughs> about that. But yeah. Uh, so you never did that with the genitals, like you never... not with the genitals. But okay. we did. Um, I did work. I did like an internship in a lab that studied um, pain, chronic pain okay. in rats. Okay. And we did inflict chronic pain on them mm. by doing like, I guess it was supposed to be not really that bad, and it's for the purpose of studying them. But I mean, who the heck really knows? I felt a little weird about that. Sure. But anyway. Um, so yeah, there. This is a common test for, or this is a common way of like creating a pain, painful scenario in mice. Right. Giving them this little, this little inflammation in their paws or something. Okay. Anyway, the detrimental effect of the pain on the female mice's libidos was reversed once the researchers gave females painkillers or libido enhancing drugs. Now, what would did they give them Viagra? What is that? Oh, I'm interested in the what these uh, drugs are. All right. The findings may provide clues about how libido works in women, the researchers said. Although some people believe that sexual desire in women, or the lack of it, is mainly regarded by cult mainly regulated by cultural expectations, this study suggests that the mechanism of certain sexual behaviors is rooted in biology, the researchers said. Well, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think that if you think about humans with it's a very simplistic model right like if you think yeah, about humans aren't mice I mean, humans are not mice they have a lot more going on psychologically than mice so of course mice have this biological explanation and you, like you look at something that doesn't have a complex mind right right and and of course it has a biological basis for whether or not it wants to have sex right mice don't even really have sex for pleasure there's only a few animals that do yeah dolphins and whatever do mice have Bonobos. gay sex Pre very infrequently I think so mm -hmm. that that shows that they don't have sex for pleasure. But anyway, um, yeah, you look at a simple creature who doesn't have much of a mind. And of course, you get a biological reductionist answer. But with humans, we do have complex minds. And there's such there's so much tied in with our minds when it comes to sexuality. Yeah. So much of it takes place between your ears. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, it's in the brain. And yeah, the, the body is important and the rest of the body is is tied into it, you know, and chronic health conditions of all kinds um, 
might tell people that they're, you know, it's not a good time to have sex. Because when you're sick, you just don't feel like having sex, right? Yeah. I feel like this is, like you say, it's very reductionist. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really just saying, okay, sex is only for copulation, um, you know, or sex is like, it's getting into genetic determinism, right? Right. That effectively, whenever, you know, like, that's like the idea that humans don't have to right. live and past it's also, 35. It's also saying there's this difference between males and females when it comes to motivations for sex. Mm-hmm. And that somehow fe- they don't say what the mechanism or the pathway would be. But it's basically it's basically insinuating that there's some thing, some biological mechanism in females that when they're in pain, it shuts off their libido. And if only we could just find what that is and then turn it back on, we could make women desire sex again. Wouldn't it be great if we could give them a pill? People have been saying that for a long time. That Yeah, I don't, if that's the goal, like Maybe that if sucks. you're sick and you don't feel like fucking and you want to get your libido back, that would be nice. Yeah. But if you don't want to, it's a little bit rapey and creepy. Yeah, I agree. It's actually very creepy. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I just think there's, in any case of chronic pain, and men experience this too, if they have chronic pain, like back pain is incredibly common, chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And if they don't want to have sex, you know, um, maybe... It's time to address the chronic pain, right? Well, yeah. So I was gonna, I was gonna address that part as a guy. I'm not gonna speak for women on, you know, the female angle of this. Um, but as a guy, like, you know, and and this is the thing is that where does this, where does this initial kind of desire or preference come from? I mean, that that's a huge debate for me. Uh, but when I'm in pain or if I'm sore or something like that, absolutely, that is the way I want to cure it. Like I don't <laughs> really. Oh yeah, yeah. Like wow. I, I could relate to what you know, like this whole study because, uh-huh. um, I don't, and, and I mean, Stephanie, you know, we've been together for years, you know, I mean, I don't go for massages <laughs> because like, like I, I just don't, you know, if I, if I am sore, if my muscles are sore, which I mean, happens, you know, working out or doing whatever else, um, like the way I, if I am in pain, the way I want to cure it is I do want to fuck. Like, I mean, that, that's, that's very true. Well, it does release endorphins and it makes you happier and feel better. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm kind of the same, like when I have cramps or something, you know, and I, I love to have an orgasm to relieve them <laughs> and it well, works. Right. But then you're being different from the, you know, from the mice. Right. I'm like a male according to them. Yeah. So, but I mean. <laughs> but when I'm sick with, like if I have a cold or something, if I have a fever, mm-hmm. it's the last thing on my mind. Like, yeah. I haven't really, luckily, knock on wood, you know, I haven't really experienced an extended period of like chronic pain. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I. Maybe I have. I had a bad ear infection for a while. But yeah, like that just felt like I was sick and I did not want to have sex during that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but a little muscle soreness or menstrual cramps once a month. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, let it stop me. It'll yeah, help. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, if I'm granted, if my genitals are hurting, I'm not going to have sex because I'm going to be actually concerned um, about my partner because it's like, oh, do I have some kind of disease or something? Right. Uh, yeah, that's a little bit weird, but apparently it didn't stop the mice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, that that would, you know, that would certainly uh, stop me. Um, but at the same time, I don't know if it actually just, you know, for, for a guy, if it comes down to, you know, sex isn't just for procreation. It's also for, it's a social lubricant. It's, it's, it's a social action that occurs. And so maybe I'm just looking for an emotional uh, you know, yeah, healing to the physical to pain your, that I feel. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. emotional and physical pain are connected. Depression and chronic pain. And right. And in human sex evolved for that as much as it evolved for, for All right. uh, procreation. Sexual healing and when humans are not healing. mice. 
That's what I'm That's taking right. away from this. So we'll be back. There's an after show. Did you know that? Ooh, let's do it. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Yeah, it kind of is. I don't know. I thought it went well with our other chip tunes that we had. I think it's perfect. I think it's great. <laughs> I, I can't stop dancing to it. <laughs> I know. No matter how many times we this is what episode eleven of season two. I think you're right. Yep. And every time we hear that, we dance. Yeah, it's true. We haven't stopped dancing yet. So anyway, um, we've got some after show stuff to talk about, and uh, we could do personal picks too. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm pulling up the report right now. I will say while you're pulling stuff up, um, uh-huh. someone did confirm, did email me. Who, mm-hmm. They were the person that uh, that got the Independence Day Resurgence audiobook. Oh, cool! Yeah, uh, you heard. You showed me that email. You heard from that person. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and the person really enjoyed it. Um, and and they you know love our work, Sovereign Tech, and of course your work. You know, oh, that's Science great. And all that. Uh, so and then boy, that movie comes out next week. I am I am jazzed up. We actually we rewatched it. Uh, we just did. Last night. I was just gonna say we we did rewatch Independence Day and last it, night. And yeah, it was awesome. It's still so good. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie since probably like around two thousand. I would guess. Yeah. Um, I did see it a couple of times. I think. But I had forgotten a lot of it, although like it came back to me when we started watching it. So yeah, I mean, it has that rah rah patriot American patriotism nonsense. But yeah, it it it's so over the top. You know, I in fact, I I just this week I heard a statement that describes all of my tastes in entertainment so well, mm-hmm. and it was it's so over the top it works. And I'm like, well, that explains everything that I love. It's when something's just so over the top that it actually works. And Independence Day was one of those. Anyway, we got the list. We do, yeah. Um, so, and thank you to that listener for purchasing through our through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Yes, thank you. First of all, if you want to be part of our after show, go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and go shopping. And by the way, with Bitcoin, uh, with the rise and rise of Bitcoin, um, <laughs> Bitcoin has now gone up quite a bit in value since a couple of weeks ago. I went shopping. I bought a gift card on gift gyft right for on. amazon and i got some stuff you can also use uh purse.io although i don't know how compatible that is with the affiliate link um so anyway if you if you have some extra cash because but your bitcoin holdings went up then uh feel welcome to go shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com and we will talk about your purchases by the way Speaking of which, um, we got another email from Fake Larry Page. Mm-hmm. He checked in with us. Um, he says, Fake Larry Page here again. Thanks for addressing my question a few weeks back. And he had asked, like, hey, can I do Amazon Smile and your affiliate link at the same time? Mm-hmm. 
And we said we thought the answer was no, but yeah. he, he has some contrary uh, evidence. So he said, thanks for addressing or she or they. Whatever. Fake Larry Page said, thanks for addressing my question a few weeks back. I wanted to follow up on Amazon Smile since I heard you two mention a product I bought while using Amazon Smile and your affiliate link, the Honeywell thermostat, plus a couple of other items. So it couldn't have just been that one item, then like maybe somebody else bought it or something. It was a bunch of things that he also purchased. So. So he thinks that you can use both. He says, I specifically remember using Smile for that one. And I would hope that Amazon doesn't tell you that you got paid for it incorrectly. I could be wrong about that, but I thought you'd find this data point interesting at the very least. Thanks for the great show. Thank yeah. you, fake Larry Page. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Now, if you could do Amazon Smile and our affiliate link at the same time, that would be awesome. And you can give your Amazon Smile to the Tor Project, yep, right? Yeah, Tor Project, uh, or there's also OuterNet. That's just a suggestion. Yeah, know. suggestions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there's the possibility that what happens is, because when, you know, when, and this would have to do with cookies in the browser. When okay. I go to, when I click on a link from some other site that, you know, they have an affiliate link or something, and it ends up at Amazon, Amazon sometimes will bring up a pop-up that says, would you like to go to the smile page of this? Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that causes the two to coincide and and to work together to where I switch to the Amazon smile, even though I went there through the affiliate link and it just kind of puts them both together. Uh, Or maybe, you know, maybe that is something that within the cookies, you have to have your cookie, you know, you have to have the cookie for Amazon smile on your browser all set. And then you go through an affiliate link and it just works that way. So maybe it is possible. I could be wrong. And that wouldn't be the first time the golden stallion of the tech world was, was uh, wrong about something like this. And of course (laughs) these things also change all the time, but anyway, Hmm. Well, that might also explain how my Amazon UK affiliate account got closed for Damn. allegedly shopping through my own affiliate link. Cause I didn't think I was, but I think once my, maybe I bought something through Amazon UK for somebody on purse.io. Yeah. So those damn maybe I, maybe they counted it as my own and they thought I was trying to double dip. Those damn cookies. Cookie. <laughs> Whoa. Sorry. Was that like a cross between cookie monster and Godzilla? Now, if this Godzilla would have been like, cookie, people are going to love that. Wow. That's the sound Godzilla makes. Okay, good? well, who who did Cookie Monster have a love child with that you made that sound? Maybe with uh, Masada. No, no, he was too low pitch for that. It sounded like a gorilla. Oh. Anyway, well, Mothra's Cookie Monster and the Yeti got together and had a light blue child. Yeah, I, I mean, Mothra's um, gender is up to serious debate. It has been oh, for, for decades. Oh, that's right. I heard an erotic story about Mothra. That's hot. <laughs> it was on this podcast called the Kiss Me Quicks Erotic Stories Podcast by oh, Rose, Rose Carraway. Now we, we've name dropped two podcasts on the show. Why don't we just start our right, uh, free talk live school sucks project. Share the love. <laughs> uh, you know, they're not going to stop listening to sex and science. No, hour. They love sex and science. Damn hour. right. Anyway, How, show okay, us what they What did loved. people get <laughs> yeah. on our stuff.sex and science hour link? So first of all, we had some paintball items last week. Someone was loading their balls and then they were also had something that you shove in the paintball barrel or something. All right. This is um, paintball marker O-ring kit. CCI Phantom paintball marker O-ring kit. Wow. And Sounds... it, it's basically like a baggie of O-rings. They look like rubber bands, but I'm pretty sure they're not. Yeah, they're seals. Yeah. Um, it, ki- ki- it says kit includes all O-rings needed to rebuild your marker. 
Man. I, whatever the fuck that means. Somebody is serious. Somebody as a heart tell attack. us what you're doing with this paintball shit. I mean, I know what you're doing. You're playing paintball, but no judgment. <laughs> no judgment, but like, what is explain paintball to me? Why do you need O rings? Well, I, I mean that these are pneumatic. Do you know, Brian? Yeah, I mean they are pneumatic, and also uh, what the do you paint... mean? Like it, it's it uses well, air to shoot the paintball out of right. the paintball. Okay, yeah. So you have that. So you need to make sure everything is perfectly sealed. But also, I think what happens a lot, of, if I remember correctly, like paintballs will actually sometimes, uh, you know, kind of blow up and or you know they'll they'll, they'll uh, pop whatever mm-hmm. inside of. Um, inside of the gun and, oh. and you can create like you can gum stuff up and so sometimes you have to clean out your paintball gun oh. and when you're doing that you might as well replace the seals you know that makes sense okay I, cool yeah, i'm saying. totally picturing a toothless guy on a front porch with a brown paper bag with a 40 in it <laughs> polishing his paintball gun no, no judgment really <laughs> She Not is being, poor shaming, okay. Stephanie is being funny. Anyway, yeah, you can't be yeah. poor and play paintball because you no. need this stuff is expensive. Yes. Somebody bought some dog food, and this is great because that's it looks like good quality dog food. It's blue buffalo life protection dry adult dog food. Now this I can really relate to, and they bought a thirty pound bag. Why so you've eaten it? Good. No, I can relate to wanting to protect the life of your dog because oh. ever since we did that article last week about um you know, those Aibo yeah, yeah, on, yeah. Sovereign, on Tech. sovereign Tech. You were on, you guessed it on Sovereign Yes, Tech. go to SovereignTech.com, download Brian's shows. I've been on a number of them recently. But I was thinking like, I really want it. I want a dog. Okay, I love dogs. They're just uh-huh. so cute. I just, I love, they're, they're my best friend. They're Stephanie's best friend. Okay. And they love me. And I'm not allergic to dogs like I am with cats. And the, the only thing that holds me back, there's two things that hold me back. One is I don't want to have to clean up after it. I don't want to have to constantly show it that I'm the alpha and make it's my bitch and that there's a hierarchy. I don't want to have to do the work to take care of it. Yep. It's biological stuff like peeing and pooping and needing to walk and needing to eat. Um, and I also don't want it to die. Yep. So all these problems are are, you know, tied to the fact that it's a biological organism. So maybe I should just get an Aibo, but they don't, they don't sell them anymore, so yeah. I can't. Which is a robotic dog made by Sony. Yeah. Yes. So, right. But you'd like to take care of it, and you would get them very fancy food. I mean, it's, a, I would. it's kind of a shame. You can't really get fancy food for, you know, I mean, you can't get quality food like this for humans. Like, <laughs> Well, this was life protection food. I'd like life protection food. Yeah, same here. I mean, good marketing, right? Have you ever eaten dog food? No. I have. Have you? Yeah. Oh, actually, I have. So, <laughs> See, once we, somebody is willing to admit it, then everybody's like, <laughs> yeah, I did too. So this is an interesting story. So it was dog food in name only, okay? It was like, basically, they can't sell this stuff as because of regulations. Defino? They can sell it as pit, pet food only. Okay. What did you say? Defino. What is that? Dog food in name only. Instead yes! Instead of like rhino. Yes, like Republican yes. Republican in name only. <laughs> right, go ahead. So, you know, like sometimes with raw milk, they can only sell it as like pet food, yep. even though it's like wink, wink, it's pet food you yeah. can it to your kid or yourself, you know. Um, so it was something like that where there was a company that I have ordered grass-fed meat from online. Mm-hmm. And they used to sell this stuff called like the primal ground, which was like ground beef grass-fed ground beef, but with some organ meat ground into it. So you Uh you kind of didn't notice that it was like liver and heart and kidney and all the good stuff, you know, that nobody likes to eat, but it's very healthy. So 
It's called, yeah, awful organ right. meat. So it had organ meat mixed in with the ground beef, and they used to sell it as like this primal ground. And I was like, ooh, that's good. I ordered some. I made it into chili. I would have never guessed it had organ meat in it. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like I, it was a feel-good thing. I felt like I was being healthy. Then they changed their website. It wasn't available. And then it was sold as pet food only. But it was the same exact stuff. Right. So I bought some and I ate it. <laughs> no, there you go. I mean, if you can feed it to your dog, you can probably eat it, right? Like, you know, I wonder. I what, didn't get sick. <laughs> like, what if that's the secret for like so many of these people? Like, is that it's all a ruse, you know, like how tomatoes are actually fruits, but they're labeled as vegetables. What if like fancy feasts and all that is actually like really great for humans and allows you to live this really long <laughs> life, but it's all a trick and you don't well, do it. It usually because... has like wheat and grains in it. So I kind of doubt it. Like it's not good for humans or cats, but which cats are carnivores. They can even taste sugar yeah, conspiracy. and grains. But anyway, um, <laughs> well, it was cheaper. You know, it was it was less expensive as the pet yeah. food version. Yeah. I don't think that was because it changed quality. I think it was the exact same product, and I was willing to put my money where my uh, mouth was. This requires research. All right. And what I else got we got? Lots of vitamins out of it. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, they had this life protection dog food. So then we got, because it's summer, you yep. know, it's summer. People are going camping. People are going to be sitting out on their porches, maybe with a bottle of with a 40 ounce bottle. Maybe a Bartles and James. Thank you for your polishing support. Polishing their paintball gun. Right. Um, so somebody got a cutter citronella candle, 20 ounce insect repellent, triple wick, the good stuff. You want it to melt and you want it to really get into the air well, so it repels. Waft. Yeah, to waft. Yeah. To repel the mosquitoes. Um, each of these candles is good for 40 hours. That's pretty good. It's a lot of hanging out outside. Yeah. And you need that in the summer. Oh, my God, you need it, Well, no matter know, where you are. The better solution, of course, like we were talking about earlier, I mean, most people can't afford to do this. The better solution is to build a deck on the second floor of your house mm-hmm. because there is a oh, point. Oh, because there's like mosquitoes can only fly so high or yeah, something. Yeah, there is you a point. This. Right. There's a point where mosquitoes can't fly that high. And if you, I mean, granted, there might still be mosquitoes that get in the house and then they fly, blah, blah, blah. blah. But anyway, uh, yeah, you, you know, having a very high porch is, is also a solution. But, what if their nest is up there? I don't, I don't like generally it just doesn't happen. Or if you, you know, take does care the of the atm- business. Does it have to be so high that the atmosphere starts to get thin or something? Yeah. Like you have a hard time breathing. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's, you know, uh, gotta be a Yeti to do it. All right. I feel like they could, even if they can only, I don't know. I feel like that might be an urban myth because like if they can fly up at all, right. Mm-hmm. If they can ascend, they could fly to like a low leaf on a tree, rest there for a little bit, then fly up to the next leaf, then fly, you know, and so on. So yeah. they can take the elevator up the tree. Yeah, I don't think their life cycle allows them to go, you know, too serious with oh, all that. Oh, really? They live for more than a day. That's flies. I, I don't know. All right. What, what, what else know. we got I here? I call bullshit. I'm going to take my citronella candle. All right. Um, we had some curry powder, 250 grams of it, to be precise. It was ship. Madra, Madras curry powder. Madras. Madras. I don't know what that means, but I like it's it. It's like a city in India, isn't oh, it? Oh, okay. That's good. Um, Yeah. So it got a bad rating on Amazon, but then it got a lot of good ratings. So who the uh, all, hell knows? All those, all that shit is made up anyway. All great foods have like some kind of city associated with them, like paste picani sauce. You know, it's made in San Antonio. But it's not in the name. It's on the bottle. New York City. New York City. All right. 
Um, somebody got an iPhone case. We have iPhone users in our audience. Sorry to hear that. They got iPhone SE case, Speedgen, Tough Armor, Heavy Duty Rose Gold, Extreme Protection, Rugged Double Layer Protective Case for iPhone 5, 5S, iPhone SE 2016. All right. And it's pink, so I... maybe it's a girl. Wait, so it's for the iPhone SE? Um, It is for the iPhone 5, 5S, or SE. I think the SE is a fine phone, even though the reason that it works for the 5 and the SE is because they're pretty much the same exact phone, except for the SE's, you know, has more power to it. Oh, uh, my but, God. But nice phone. What? Have you seen this? No. Now they're calling it mill grade. Like, instead of saying military grade. Mill grade. Now they're calling it mill grade. Yeah. Like, we should just start shortening words. Okay. Like, instead of Wait, the how iPhone. how do I, do I just say O? <laughs> of, okay. <laughs> well, no, it's just kind of funny when you, when you, <laughs> when you shorten, like, certain words can be really funny. Yeah. When you shorten them, like... Instead of extreme protection, it would be like extreme protection. <laughs> right. I, was, I mean, it is like a military, like uh, uh, a tradition to shorten things. Like, oh, God. Or, or to, I thought they were doing it so it wouldn't seem military because it's yeah, pink. That I might mean, be. It's kind of the opposite. Well, come on. If you're a woman, you have to have a pink gun or whatever. Right. Right. You Isn't have to that, have pink everything. It's a rule. It's a total requirement. It's, yeah. All right. They're going to check. <laughs> We got, oh my gosh, I didn't know she wrote this book. Wow. So this is a book by somebody we know. Really? Yeah. Marie. Oh. Yeah. But, well, we're going to say the book, so we might as well say the author. It's Marie Clapsaddle. She is um, somebody we know. She's great. She, yeah, she's great. We She lives around here. She wrote a book? She wrote a book. It's called Become a Tech Active Senior. Defeat your fear, get connected, and expand your world. Bravo! That's awesome. Get, everybody go get this book. Marie Clapsaddle's wonderful. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's pretty cool. So I had no clue that she was an author, but now we know. Um, this is cool. Let me read you the uh, the preview. Are you hesitant to wear are you hesitant to use a smartphone, computer, tablet, or ebook reader, even though you see other seniors enjoying them? Well, I am, and I'm not even a senior. <laughs> Do you feel confused about tech devices and unsure of how they might benefit you? Do you feel overwhelmed when you think about purchasing a device and learning how to use it? Is this what you've been telling yourself? I'm too old. I can't do it. It's too difficult. I don't like it. I don't want it. It's not for me. I'm a klutz. I'd break it. I'm embarrassed to ask younger people for help. I can't type. I'm afraid. I can't afford it. I feel overwhelmed. I don't know where to start. As a senior and technology enthusiast with a background in education, I found a way to help other seniors defeat the self-talk barriers, discover new ways of connecting with people and information, and experience for themselves how technology can enrich their lives. That sounds awesome. That is... I wonder if she... Marie, do you need an audiobook? <laughs> yeah. That is <laughs> wonderful. Because I do that, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm going to mention that. Uh, keep that handy because I'm going to mention that on my yeah, show, Sovereign Yeah, that sounds Tech. like a good resource. Yeah. She was actually a listener of Sovereign Tech. Yep. Um, and I, I mean, if she still does. It's great. Like, because admittedly, my show used to be very consumer user centric. Now it's more like ethics centric in mm -hmm. technology. Uh, but I know she was definitely a listener, you know, back in the day. I think she still does. But anyway, wonderful. Great. That's, cool. That's awesome. All right. Right on. Well, um, we also got somebody bought some floor liners. So like these are these things that you like, like a little like a little cookie tray that you put on the bottom of your car floor. So like when you step into the car with snowy boots or something, mm -hmm. it catches the shit. 
and then you can just dump it out when oh, it dries nice. up. So it's this is a WeatherTech 4429612 floor liner. Nice. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And uh, Amazon is creepily telling me that it, this does not fit my car. And that's, <laughs> there's a reason for that because I'm not buying it for my car. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, and the final thing that we got, this is an audio, another audiobook. All right. A Spontaneous Order <sighs> by Chase Rachels, the book about ANCAP-ness. ANCAPistan. Yeah, if, as long as we're shortening words. With, the book about Anarcho-capitalism. Oh. What, why are you doing that, Brian? So we're happy for Marie that she wrote a book, but we're not happy for Chase that he wrote a book. Is that I how mean, it is? All right. If you want to edit this, you can. <laughs> um, I don't think I do, because I think it's great to talk shit. Like, <laughs> Okay, so I read this book. Uh-huh. Okay, you didn't like the book. Okay. No, I, I was summarily unimpressed. I have not read the book. Yeah, it used age-old arguments. Um, if I remember correctly... The full title, by the way, A Spontaneous Order, The ca- the Capitalist Case for a Stateless Society by Chase Rachels with a foreword by Stephen, uh, Stephen Kinsella. How nice. Um, Kinsella, I, I like... Kinsella I like, does some amazing work. I like work. Kinsella, yeah. yeah. Uh, I just, like, in fact, I think even in this book, if I remember right, and I have a hard time remembering exactly because I see some of Chase's other work in that... But I think he makes a case that there's nothing unethical about voting and like, really? Yeah. But I'm like, no, you're, you're wrong. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Like, I mean, voting absolutely is unethical. Uh, (laughs) you know, electoral politics, I should say, are unethical. There is no self-defense case for that. In fact, if you want to find us talk about that, there's a YouTube video of Stephanie and I, uh, talking about voting. You can find it just, just look up sovereign tech voting on YouTube and it'll come up. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a specific video for that so that people could hear. And you, Stephanie did great work in that, in that video. Uh, Thank so you. Any, anyway, um, yeah, I'm just not, it's, it's a book that it, it uses age old arguments. There's no advancement in, in things. I, I just, it, it didn't. So you don't think he came up with anything new? N- not He's really. I mean, stating the arguments of Murray Rothbard and, so forth that's kind of how i feel about it like he i mean it's sort of an amalgamation which there's a point where that becomes something new but i really feel like it was just age-old arguments put onto new technology and it just i don't know it just didn't do i'm just kind of surprised that anybody who writes a libertarian or ancap book makes money off of it like and i don't know if he does or not but i'm just surprised because there's so many books out there and it seems like I don't know, maybe there's a few people who really love them and read them a lot but Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like it has a lot of mass appeal yeah, maybe I, it's a niche market. I don't know, but like acad- like maybe it's not an academic book. This is not meant to be a book review of a book I haven't read, okay? But <laughs> I don't know. I just if it's working for him, great, but I'm I, I don't know. I just well, does anyone read books like this? I can picture somebody's probably going to be like, oh, "Chase, did you hear what they said about yeah, you on Science are, and Science?" Probably. And it's like, "Folks, let me just <laughs> tell you, yeah. we're not saying any I no. mean I'm not Chase. I'm, I haven't read your book. I'm sorry, yeah, but I, I have it unimpressed me. But I just want to you know cut this <laughs> off at the pass and say Chase and I know we don't see eye to eye on a million things. Mm-hmm. Okay, he he. We already know that of each other. Yeah. So I mean, he knows that I know it. So whatever. Okay, <laughs> I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, you're not intellectual bosom buddies. I get it. Yeah. And so <laughs> nothing I mean, against him personally, but you no, know, we know it. We've talked about it. It's over. I, I mean, think that, like, I would. I think I would probably also be in that camp because you know even though chase has said i'm one of his favorite libertarians um you use the l word oh shit 
<laughs> Jason said I'm one of his favorite lesbians. <laughs> However, I'm sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> However, um, and I'm not actually a lesbian, I'm bisexual. We just, that was a joke about mm-hmm. not saying the word libertarian and how we decided not right. to say it on the show. But anyway, um, we did. We've broken the cherry anyway. So, um, like I said, not meant to be a book review of a book I haven't read, but I think he talks in this case about the only thing that matters is the non-aggression principle. Everything else is just is irrelevant. You know, it's like basically thin libertarianism to the max. Yeah. And I disagree with that. I think other things are relevant to freedom that fall outside strictly the non-aggression principle. Yeah. But it? if you want to hear his book, you can read it a spontaneous order, The Capitalist Case for a Stateless Society, and buy it through stuff.sexsciencehour.com. Yep, you got some free marketing. <laughs> the free market. <laughs> or free marketing. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sex Science Hour. See you next time. Woo!